I want to begin reading in Mark chapter 3. So how are we going to become vessels through which God can reveal His glory? Remember last night we talked about the glory of God. We need the glory of God. So how do we become actually the vessels through whom God can reveal His glory? Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to Him those He wanted, and they came to Him. He appointed twelve that they might be with Him, that He might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So, so uh, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm the morning Bible teacher. I'm not the evening preacher, so we can talk, okay? So uh, what did God call them to do? What did He call them to do? What is Jesus calling them to? To preach. Yep, that's where we always start, and we skip over what He actually said. What did He actually say? He called them to be with Him so that He could send them out to preach. You see, the call to preach has to be preceded by the call to be with Him. Are we spending time with Him? The authority to preach, the authority to heal, the authority to do the work of God begins with time spent with God. It is time spent in His presence. Now in missions today, we talk a lot about BAM. How many of you know what BAM is? Business as Missions. How many of you know in America, you're also involved in BAM, business as ministry, business as pastoring? Most of you, when you felt the call to preach, you didn't feel called to be a CEO. It just kind of got thrown on you. When you felt called to preach, you, you didn't take counseling classes because you thought, I don't want to do counseling. And all the things you didn't want to do, you find that's what you're doing. And we can get so caught up in the business of ministry, so caught up in the business of life that we don't have time to pray. We don't have time to spend with the Lord. If your schedule is too busy for you and your staff to get together on a regular basis and pray, you are too busy and you need to change your schedule. Because of the influences I had on my life, when I went out, we set it as a pattern. I don't do four, so I did five. So we did five to seven. Every morning, everybody on my team, we prayed together from five to seven for 12 years. For 12 years, we prayed together for five to seven. And I found as the younger generation came, it, it got harder to get them up in the morning. So we started doing six to seven, but we still prayed. Monday through Friday, six to seven. And for years, it seemed like, you know, nothing's happening. Why, why are we spending all this time? Couldn't there be a better use of our time? I just had one of the greatest treasures of my ministry. Uh, just got back on Monday. Right before I got back, I was at a meeting. They had a pastor's meeting, and they, they asked me, the uh, general counsel asked me to come to the meeting. And in the meeting, it's, it was a, a meeting of the pastors of a state. Back in uh, 1997, the leadership of the Assemblies of God asked me to go there to pioneer the work. They said, we don't have work there, and we believe you're the person God's called. We want you to go there, and we want you to start the work. So me and my wife, and at that time, my uh, one-year-old son, we moved there, and we started working. And uh, it was hard. For 12 years, it was hard. But we prayed, and we sought the Lord, and we did extended fasting. 
And we kept seeking the Lord, and we kept preaching the gospel, and we kept doing the work of God. And uh, I was just overwhelmed that I was there two weeks ago, and now there's over 100 pastors there. And the overwhelming majority of them are first-generation believers who got saved in that state who now pastor churches in that state. God has called us to be with him, to be with him so that he can send us to preach, so that he can heal through us, so that he can raise the dead through us, so that he can open blind eyes through us, so that he can erase addiction through us. God has called us to himself. These kind of moments shouldn't be a rarity in our life. They should be the norm. This should be the norm of our life, that we find moments to pray together. And I want you to notice this. Prayer is not primarily an individual activity. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray like this, Our Father. So unless you have multiple personalities, you can't play Our Father unless you're with somebody. He taught his disciples to pray together. You need personal time with the Lord. You need to shut yourself in the closet with the Lord. But you also need a whole lot of time praying with the people with whom you're serving. Because it's hard to fight with somebody you pray with every day. It's hard to, to get angry at somebody you're praying with every day. It's hard to be bitter with someone I sit together and pray with every day. If you want unity, the unity that releases the power of God, we have to find times to pray. And if the only time there is that we're all free is 5 in the morning, so be it. We need to start showing up at 5 in the morning. If we can do it in the evening, do it in the evening. But we, as a people, have to find time to call on the name of the Lord together. He has called us to himself. So, ministry is an outflow of our relationship with Christ. Ministry is an outflow of our relationship with Christ. You can do a lot of good preaching without Jesus. You can build a big gathering without Jesus. But you will not walk in the anointing that sets people free without a relationship with Jesus. Mark chapter 6, Luke 9, Matthew 10 give instructions to the 12, but I really want to focus this morning on Luke chapter 10, the instructions to the 72. I love it. Because uh, the 72 are nameless, faceless leftovers. How many of you feel more a part of that crowd than the 12 crowd? <laughs> I don't feel a part of the 12 crowd. I mean, those are special guys that we know their name. We don't know a single name of the 72. We don't know their names. We don't know where they came from. We don't know their occupation. We know nothing about them. They are nameless, faceless leftovers who didn't make the cut. But I want to tell you, God has a place in his kingdom for nameless, faceless leftovers. God has a place for people like me and you, to use us to do his glory. So, so Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, After this the Lord appointed 72 others 
and sent them two by two. Notice that the call of God is always together. It is in relationship. If you are ministering alone, you're not ministering right. Take somebody with you. Take somebody with you. I, I set it as a pattern in my town. And at least once a week, I walk through my entire town. And so I walk from one end of my town to other with a stated ambition of stopping everywhere that someone greets me. So I just walk through the town and somebody say, hey, how are you doing? I say, great, how are you? Come on in and have tea. Absolutely. And so I, a lot of times on my Tuesday walks, I'll drink about 20 cups of tea on my Tuesday walk. <laughs> and I don't sleep for three more days. But I walk because I just want to meet people. I just want to be around people. I, I want to I be there with people. But what I started realizing was, man, it's not good to do it alone. So I would always take somebody new and say, hey, come do it with me. Come on, come on, why don't you come with me? I'm walking through the town. Come with me. And now I've got a new follower who's there as I'm sharing the gospel, house after house, person after person, as I'm discipling, as I'm counseling. We're sharing the experience together. I was getting ready one day at my truck to go out. We were going to go preach in this village, and I'm at the truck, and somebody comes up, and, and I could tell, like, he's gone. He's an alcoholic, and he's, uh, he, he's not doing well. And he gets to my truck, and he said, hey, somebody told me that you help people like me. I said, absolutely. I said, what's happening? He said, I'm an alcoholic, and I don't know what to do. I said, great, get in the truck. We're going to preach. And so he went and preached with me for three days. <laughs> he was jonesing the whole time, but, but he was there. You just take people with you. You take people on the road with you. Take people on the journey with you. Never walk alone. We walk together with Jesus and with one another. So two by two, into every town and place where he was about to go. How many of you genuinely feel like where you're at right now that Jesus sent you to that place? How many of you feel that? Do you have that assurance? Do you know what the assurance of the Word of God is? That if He sent you there, it's because He's about to go there. That's the promise. You have a promise from the Lord. That He's not sending you there to change your town. He sent you there to announce to your town, get ready, Jesus is about to pass by. Get ready, He is about to walk through this town. Get ready. The presence of the Lord is on the way. I don't know what day he's going to show up, but he's going to show up. Get ready. I don't need to convince you. I don't have to, to make it uh, understandable to you. I've just got to let you know Jesus is coming, and he's fully capable of persuading you himself. So now he gives these trucks. So he's sending them out, and he's going to tell them how to go. Number one, I've only got ten points, but i got two days, so that's, that's good. Number one, go with expectation. Everybody say expectation. He said in verse 2, he told them the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. I want to tell you in your town today, God would say to you today, the harvest is plentiful. It may look hard. It may seem like people don't want to listen. It may seem like nothing is ever going to happen. But by the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, the harvest is plentiful in your town. 
people may say, oh, in Minnesota, you know, people aren't, you know, they're not really seeking God, and there's so many atheists, and there's so many liberals, and there's so many problems. I want to tell you, stop speaking that over your town and start speaking the Word of God over your town, over your university. The harvest is plentiful in Alexandria, Minnesota. The harvest is plentiful in St. Cloud. The harvest is plentiful in Duluth. The harvest is plentiful in Minnesota. We've just got to join in with him. But you can't work without expectation. No farmer will ever go into the field and move the rocks if he doesn't expect something's going to come up. No farmer is going to bear the heat of the summer out plowing the field and preparing the field if he doesn't have a belief this is going to lead to a harvest. When you lose expectation, you lose hope, and when you lose hope, there is no ministry. Our ministry is a ministry of hope. We hope in what we do not see. We're looking for a city that is beyond our sight. But we are moving because we have a hope in a God who is able to turn the desert land into a great harvest. Do you have expectation? Are you living with expectation? Begin to believe God for an outpouring of His Spirit in your town. And how do you, how do you birth expectation? You birth expectation in the presence of the Lord. So every morning I go to the Lord and I lay before the Lord the letters. I lay before the Lord the letter that says no one has ever planted a church here. I lay before the Lord the letter that says nothing is ever going to happen here. I lay before the Lord the thoughts of man that says it's too hard, nothing is going to happen here. And I lay those things before the Lord and I say, Lord, you see what they're saying. Lord, you see what is expected, but I hope in you. I do not hope in the circumstance, the situation. My hope, my expectation is in you. There's hope. Everybody just say the name of your town really quick. There's a harvest. There's a harvest. There is a harvest. I want you to say it with me. The harvest is plentiful, and then say the name of your town. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. The time is now. Don't say next month, next year, and then the harvest. Begin to believe. God, you're going to bring a harvest today. And if I don't see it today, it's because you're going to do it tomorrow. And if you don't do it tomorrow, it's because you got plans for next week. And if you don't do it next week, it's because of next month. There is a harvest that is going to take place. God is not unfaithful. Of all the things he can't do, God cannot be unfaithful. God is faithful because of, uh, because of missionaries with a passion for God. I got saved when I'm 20 years old, ended up at Southeastern College when I'm 21. The question is, you can expect and hope for a harvest, but how desperately do you want it? Do you want the harvest enough to be the fertilizer and not the harvester? Do you want to be to see a harvest in your town enough to be the grain that is planted in the ground and died? Or do you only want it if you get to rejoice in it? We have to be a people.
that we expect and hope for something we may never see. That we love our community so desperately. We love our family and friends so desperately that we would lay down our lives today that they would have a beautiful tomorrow. Some of you have read maybe the book High Adventures in Tibet. How many of you read that book? Wow, that's one of my favorite. Go, go look it up. Uh, it's the story of Victor Plymeyer. Victor Plymeyer was uh, the uh, uncle of our former general superintendent, Dr. George Wood. Victor Plymeyer started as a missionary in Tibet, and he used to go through Tibet preaching the gospel. And then one day as he's preaching, he's living right on the edge of Tibet in this little village, and there was a plague that came, and they all told him, Victor, you need to get out of there now. The plague is there. Your family, your wife are in danger. He said, no, this is the greatest opportunity. People actually allow me to minister now. They're actually allowing me in the home. They're listening to my message. And so he went, and he kept preaching and serving those who were dying. And then one day his wife and his daughter got sick, and they also died of the plague. Victor Plymeyer went to the governor and said, uh, we don't hold the same traditions. You know, you, uh, you, know, you just put the, in, in there, it's called air burial. You just put the body up on a, up on a little uh, platform and allow the birds to come and pick the bones, and then they take the bones and they bury the bones. And he said, that's not our tradition. Our tradition is we bury the body in expectation of resurrection one day. So I need a, I need a piece of land where I can bury my wife and daughter. And so the governor said, you know, we can't give you anything in the town because uh, the people don't want to live next to a dead body, but there's a hill on the outside of the city, and everybody believes it's inhabited by ghosts, and so nobody ever goes there, so, so I'll give you that piece of land. He said, do you want me to put it in your name? He said, no, put the name in, in the name of the Assemblies of God. I want the deed in the name of the Assemblies of God. So, so he got the deed, and he had to go up on top of this hill. He said it was so cold, he had to take an axe to literally cut the dirt and he dug with all his might. Took him all day until finally he just had a little hole where he could put his wife. He couldn't dig to. And he put his little daughter on top of his wife and he buried her. He put that seed into the ground. Years after that, the communists came to power. He was thrown out. And when he came back, he came back a broken man. He said, I, I don't know of one person who ever came to the Lord. I don't know if I ever made a difference. But I can promise you that when a seed is planted into the ground, it will grow. Years later, his son David Plymeyer was living in Hong Kong, the voice of FIBA, the Far East Broadcasting Association. He's uh, preaching the gospel, and one day he gets a letter from a man in China. And in this letter he said, uh, I don't know if you are the son of Victor Plymeyer. He said, if you are, I need your help. He said, when I was a little boy, your father lived in my town, and he preached in my town. He said, we all made fun of him. We'd throw rocks at him. We, we would not pay any attention to him. He said, but years later, he said, the Lord gripped my heart. The words of your father started coming back, and I called on the name of the Lord, and he revolutionized my life. He said, now in our town, we have over 5,000 believers in our town today. He said, I need your help because we want to have a place where we can worship together. But the officials have said, unless you can prove there was ever a church in this town, we will not allow you to gather. He said, can you look through your father's old documents and find out, is there any proof that there was ever a church in this town? And his father had an old trunk, and he looked through, and he found this burial deed. And he sent this burial deed back to China. 
And with this burial deed, they went, and now there's a church that gathers in that town of over 20,000 people. Because if a seed is planted in the ground, it will bear fruit. So I don't know where you are on the harvest spectrum. Some of you may be in a place that you're seeing harvest today, and I want to encourage you, work while it is day. But some of you are in a place where it seems like dark night. It seems like nobody cares. Nobody wants to come to church. Nobody wants to listen to me. And I want to encourage you, continue to strike the ground. Continue to work the field. Continue to move the rocks. Because I want to tell you, you've got to live with a hope, with an expectation. It may not be in my lifetime, but there is going to be a harvest in this place. And I don't live for the accolades of people. We don't live to have our names in spotlights. We live that the kingdom of God would be established in all the earth, whether we see it or not. Expectation. Everybody say expectation. Begin to pray and ask the Lord for a new hope for your town, for new expectations for what he's going to do. Continuing on in verse 2. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. You see, there's always a problem with harvest, right? <laughs> Combines broke down. <laughs> it's raining. There's a, there's a harvest, but we've got difficulties. We don't have enough labors. So what is the solution? Ask the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. So we go with expectation, and we go with prayer. Everybody say prayer. Time and fast, prayer and fasting. Sister Tennyson mentioned this last night. That prayer and fasting is not about us adjusting the will of God. It is not about us changing God's mind. Prayer and fasting is not for the purpose of manipulating God to get on our program. Prayer and fasting is about spending time with Him so that He can move my will into alignment with His. Prayer and fasting is not to force God to do something. You see, God loves your city more than you ever could. God loves your family, your children, more than you ever could. You don't have to convince God to care about your family and to care about your city. We don't pray so that God will feel obligated to do something for our city. We pray so that God can get us into alignment with his program. So when you spend time with God, then you know God. And when you know God, you trust God. When you know your trust. Isn't that what Sister Tennyson told us last night? The more you know him, the more you trust him. And the more you trust him, the more confidence you have in ministry. We need more confident ministers. And, and I'm not talking about pride. I, I'm not talking about a confidence in what you can do. You know, Sister Tennyson is a hard act to follow. but you can't intimidate a dead man. I don't get intimidated because it's not about me. <laughs> dead people don't feel insecure. <laughs> I mean,
I mean, once you're dead, you're not laying there wondering about how you look. I mean, you got a whole team of people trying to make you look nice, but the person laying there doesn't care. Dead people aren't insecure. And the sooner you accept, I am no longer alive, but Christ lives in me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There is a confidence that comes with the understanding that it is not about me, it's not about my abilities, it's not about my wisdom and knowledge. It is God, Christ, living in me that is the hope of glory. And there is confidence that comes with that. You don't have to be confident in your abilities. You have to be confident in the one you trust. Trust leads to confidence, and confidence leads to boldness. It leads to power. It leads to strength. It leads to all the wisdom of God flowing through our lives to the world around us. We spend time with Him so that we know Him. And when we know Him, we trust Him. And when we trust Him, we have confidence. And when we have confidence, all the boldness, wisdom, and power of God flows through our lives. We need a generation of confident men and women of God. Prayer. Praying. Seeking the Lord. One of our challenges, I think, is uh, we, we want to be tension-free. And, and I would tell you, God has not called you to a life free from tension. God has called you to learn to live with tension. My, uh, my youngest son is a, uh, is a world-class rock climber. I mean, like, you know, he's so good, it just makes me feel bad to go with him now. You know, we're, we, we had a competition the other day. He did more one-arm pull-ups than I can do both-arm pull-ups. He's strong. And uh, one of the things you find out about strength is the only way to get stronger is to add more tension. The only way to get stronger is to add more tension. And if you work with the same level of tension, sooner or later you plateau. If you work with no tension, you just remain weak. If you remain at a level of tension, you, you plateau. And the only way to rise above a plateau is to add more tension. And I want to tell you, Jesus loves Minnesota enough. Jesus loves the world so much that he's willing to allow you to walk through tension so that you can grow in him, so that you can reveal him to the nations around you. God's goal for your life is not comfort. God's goal for your life is not ease. There is a healthy tension that we need to learn to live in. And a part of that healthy tension is a tension with prayer. How do we use our time? I would encourage you to, to learn to use airplane mode. If the first thing you look at in the morning is your phone, you're not going to pray. Because there's always something else going on. But you've got to learn to live in tension, right? you got to learn to live in the tension of, man, there's so much I need to be doing, so much I need to be praying for, but there's something that's even more valuable, and that is to be with the Lord. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. 
I'm going to spend extravagant time with the Lord alone and with the Lord, with the community. I, I'm going to find ways to make it. I'm going to live under attention and set some things aside. I'm going to learn to live in that tension. And if you're not living in tension, you're giving in. We need to be a people of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And, and, and don't ever substitute singing for prayer. It's bad enough we substitute singing for worship, but don't substitute singing for prayer. Singing is singing, and we can use our singing to praise the Lord and to worship the Lord. But singing singing, and worshiping is worshiping, and praying is praying. You can sing a prayer to the Lord, and that's fine. But just because you're singing, it doesn't mean you're worshiping or praying. I want to encourage you. Find time to spend in the presence of the Lord. And we can talk about this generation. You know, we're talking about North Central University students. It's hard to spend two hours in silence. How many of you know it's hard for us to do it too? It's different things. Pulling. It's the tension of work. It's the tension of the urgency of the immediate but we got to pull away and we got to find times to spend in the presence of the Lord and remember this it's not either or you know I heard somebody say the other day God called me to pray and uh, I said well who who didn't hear that <laughs> I don't think there's a special call to prayer and worship if you're a disciple, let me just assure you, God called you to pray. <laughs> and God called you to worship. I recently read a book about the Desert Fathers. And uh, somewhere along the line, they got it wrong. Can, can I say that here? They got it wrong. You know where they got it wrong? They thought the whole goal was just to be in the presence of the Lord. And if the whole goal is just to be in the presence of the Lord, I feel Him best when I'm away from evil people. I feel him best when there's no distractions. Let me go out and hide in a cave and pray and worship, and that's all great, but nobody's seeing the glory cloud. <laughs> Jesus did take moments where he went away, but he always came back and sat with the broken, the sinner, the hopeless, the hurting. I don't believe God has called anybody. You can refute this. To spend the life just praying and just worshiping at the expense of revealing His glory. God has called all of us for a chief purpose of being image bearers in the earth. And to be an image bearer, I need to spend time with Him. To be an image bearer, I need to worship Him. But then at the end of that, I need to do what happens through that, which is going out with the presence of the Lord in all the earth. God has called us to live out this faith extravagantly. So we have expectation. We have prayer. Verse 3. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I have often thought, God, why didn't you give us a chance? 
I mean, give us a chance. I mean, like, wouldn't it be nice if we were sent out as lions among wolves? Or at least let me be a rabbit who's fast. <laughs> I mean, I don't even have to be big. Just make me a sparrow who can fly. <laughs> but give me some chance. And let me tell you, a lamb has no chance against a wolf. Now, let me preface this by saying, Jesus said you're a lamb. I didn't say it. So let me preface it before I'm going to say what I said. But I have spent a lot of time with shepherds up in the hills. And I can tell you, lambs are the dumbest of all God's creatures. Now, Jesus called you a lamb. Take with that whatever you want to take from it. Lambs are slow. Lambs get distracted really easy. They just put their head down and they start eating grass and they look up and they're alone and how did I get here? And they don't even know how. So, so why is God sending us out as lambs? I mean, nobody wants to be a lamb. We'd all like to be the wolf. We'd all like to be the lion. You see, lambs have something that uh, most creatures don't. Because lambs are so innocent, so weak, so stupid, lambs only have one thing they can do, and that is staying close to the shepherd. As a lamb, your only defense is to stay as close to the shepherd as you can. And the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He leads me and guides me to the still waters. He provides for me. His rod and his staff comfort me. Even if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear the wolf. I don't have to fear the lion. All I have to do is stay close to the shepherd. You see, in ministry, it's good to know. It's good to learn. It's good to grow. It's really good to do those things. But at the end of the day, our confidence is in the shepherd himself who leads us every day. So we're going to study as much as we can. We're going to get degrees and learn as much as we can. We're going to go to the CMM seminars, and we're going to learn to be better pastors. It's great to do all of those things, but at the end of the day, our only confidence is this, that the Lord is our shepherd, and i got to stay close to Him. That's the confidence that we work on. But we live in a day today where... where uh, uh, we want to be lion churches, not lamb churches. What we want is Jesus on a white horse. That's what we're hoping for. But uh, all we get is a wounded lamb. I love in the book of Revelation, Revelation 5, 5, it starts talking about there's seals. No one is found worthy. There's weeping in heaven. And then all of a sudden, John looks up. And he said, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. John hears this voice. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He is able to open the scrolls. Yes, we serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then John says in 5, 6, he said, and I looked and I saw a lamb as if it were slain. That's who we serve. 
we serve a slain lamb. We serve a bleeding, wounded healer. We serve a self-sacrificing, loving servant. And the one we serve models for us how we are to live our lives. We are not going to transform our cities walking through them as prancing lions. We are going to see transformation when we model the wounded Christ. Yes, he's going to reveal himself one day. At the end of times when death, hell, and the grave will be dealt with. There will be a finality to the work of Christ. But right now, we live in this in-between time. The kingdom of God is here. It is now, but not yet. And as long as we're in the here and now and not yet, Christ is not revealing himself as the one with the sword coming in his mouth on a white horse. He reveals himself today as the wounded healer. And if we are going to be seeing transformation, we must be lambs in our community. Lambs ready for the slaughter. Rams who don't open their mouth. Lambs who aren't the smartest, aren't the brightest, aren't the fastest, with no mode of defense. But we trust in the one who is able to do all things. We need an error of brokenness and humility that is sadly absent in the church today. We do not need more prideful, boastful ministers. We, we do not need more flash. What we need is the glory of God. And God reveals himself through broken servants. That's not about how you dress. It's not about how you preach. It is about the attitude of your heart before God and others. Do we have the quality of a lamb who constantly looks up to the shepherd? The quality of the lamb who recognizes, I am not here to defend myself. The quality of the lamb who knows God is my everything. We need a brokenness. We need a brokenness. We need wounded healers going out into our communities. We have to go with confidence that is not based on our ability and our strength, but a confidence that lies solely on the Lord. Pride in our society today can draw a crowd. It's a strange thing. You know, in places like Minnesota, 40 years ago, pride would have sent everybody away. But nowadays... Pride's a very attractive thing in the world today. How many of you know that? Self-confidence is a very attractive thing. I want a pastor with a certain image. I want a pastor I can look up to. We don't want David. We want Saul. Head and shoulders above the rest. We don't want a little boy with a sling. We want a giant with a sword to lead us into battle. I want somebody I can put my faith in, my confidence in. And let me tell you, if you do that, you're going to fail them because you're not infallible. You're going to let them down. Their faith is going to be broken. They're going to be hurt. They're going to walk away. 
They're going to go to the next church looking for a hero to save them. But if we are wounded healers who point people to Jesus, when we fail, we just fail with them. We're all serving the same God. When we're weak, we're just weak with our flock. We're all serving the same God. I want to encourage you. We need a day of brokenness and humility in our midst again. We need to be a people again, again who don't walk into battle with weapons. We simply walk into battle beside our Lord. We're not here to fight. We're just here to introduce you to the shepherd. Wounded healers. And then I'm going to close with this one, and then we're going to pray. Verse 4. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. So we go with expectation. We go with prayer. We go with confidence. And we go with trust. Everybody say trust. Trust. You see, what he's saying to them, there are other times he said, if you don't have, go and, go and get some. But at this moment, he said, you know, I want you guys to learn something right here at the beginning of your ministry. I want you to learn this. Your trust is not in your salary. Your trust is not in how much comes in on Sunday morning in the tithes. Your trust is not on your 501c3. Your trust is not in the money that comes in. You need to learn to trust me right here up front. You need to learn to trust me. What are you going to do when there's no money? Our pastors fast a lot. And a lot of fasting, they just call it Saturday. You know what Saturday is? Saturday is the day before Sunday and the tithe money ran out. So uh, nothing to eat today. So we pray. And I want to tell you, when, when, you, when you've lived through that, there's something that starts to change in your life. That just in the simple thing of learning to trust God with the little things gives you confidence to trust God in the big things. And if I can't trust, you see, if I have money in my pocket, I'm not trusting in God to provide my food. I'm trusting in what's in my pocket. If I have extra clothes in my bag, I'm not counting on God and trusting in God to clothe me. I'm trusting in the clothes on my bag. And you'll notice this, that, that Jesus is smart. How many of you know Jesus is smart? So that's why he said, you can't take anything and you can't greet people. Because ministers are professional greeters. If a missionary ever calls you and says, I don't want any money, I just want to meet, they're lying. They're professional greeters. <laughs> Pastor, I just want to have coffee. Share my story. If they're greeting you, there's a reason, right? And we all know the reason. They're trying to get to the field. If they wanted to hang out, they would have hung out with you before they felt called to missions. <laughs> if you've never met them before and just meeting them now, it's because they need money. <laughs> It'd be nice to know each other. It'd be nice to like each other, but we don't have to like each other. We just got to help each other. So he says, and I don't want you to greet anybody. Why? Because we know how to greet. Praise the Lord, brother. How are you? So don't today, I'm not eating today. I'm just trusting in the Lord today. I'm trusting in the Lord that he's going to provide. 
And I don't know how God's going to provide. Maybe it's you, maybe it's not. But I just know God is my source. And we say, oh, you know what? Let me, let me give you a 20. Praise the Lord, God provided. <laughs> you can get a lot of stuff with professional greetings. <laughs> We're just trusting in the Lord for our new building. We're just trusting that God's going to provide the $10,192.83 that is needed. And I don't know how God's going to do it, but we're just trusting God. And you'll see that figure in the newsletter next month, but we're just trusting God. And you'll see we've made an application to the bank, but we're just trusting God. Right? And we all have to do those things. But he said, but we also need moments. We, also, we often need moments where we're going to hide something in our hearts. and Say, God, this is something between me and you, and I need to know it's you. Sister Martha shared so many incredible stories last night that you look back on and you just know, wow, that was God because nobody knew. She didn't call up her friend and say, hey, meet me at Shoney's at 2 o'clock. I'm on the way. Because then for the rest of your life, you've got to wonder, was that me or was that God? We need moments in our life that can be nothing but God. That God just showed up. We know it was the hand of God. There's no other explanations. God did it. When our youngest son was born, he was born with only one kidney. And uh, we prayed and sought the Lord. God, what do you want us to do? The doctor said for the next two years, we need to be here. He needs to have a regular test at least once a month. He needs to be on medication. We need to keep an eye because if he loses the other kidney, it may be too late. He's too young for a transplant, and, and he may not make it. We need to have him the next two years. He needs to stay here. And the doctor said, well, do you, do you have a hospital where you can do the test there? No, where we live up in the hills, there's, a, there's no hospital with any facilities. And the doctor told us, you're risking your son's life. And there comes a moment where you have to know, God, can I trust you? Can I trust you? I love my sons more than I love my life. I, I would lay down my life at any moment for my sons. But I also know the best thing I can do for my children is for me to trust the Lord. I need to model for my children. We trust the Lord. I, I know what the doctor's saying, and I, and I know what might happen, but we have got to trust that the God who called us is able. I wonder sometimes, like, what are our thoughts about God? Do we think that when God calls, we can say, you know, God, we were going to go, but it looks like for the next two years we got to stay because our Son was born with one kidney. I wonder what's not sometimes what we think, the com how the conversation is going to go. Is God going to respond back and say, wait, what happened? Okay, send me the x-rays. Let me check that out. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe you can't go. How do we expect the conversation to go? God called us. What are we to do? And so we went with our son. We spent the next two years.
After two years, went to the hospital, and while we were there, I said, hey, can you check my son out? You know, we do care about him. We want to make sure he's doing okay, and they checked him out, and they, they ran an x-ray, and then they did an ultrasound, and then they did an MRI, and at the end of the day, the doctor came back with this report and said, uh, said I, I'm looking at the old one, uh, the old x-ray, and, uh, but I don't know what to tell you, but your son has two kidneys now. And our son is now 19 years old. He's healthy. Strong with two good kidneys. A few years after that, our, young, our middle son was diagnosed with autism. And uh, one thing you learn is this. Yesterday's victories don't prepare you for today's battles. Yesterday's victories don't prepare you for today's battles. Children of Israel, they're at the edge of the Red Sea. The army's coming. God, why'd you bring us here to die? God comes down and makes a way across the sea. And they spend a whole day worshiping the Lord. But when you worship, you get thirsty. There's no water. God, why'd you bring us here to die? So God brings water out of the rock. Miracle. Thank you, Lord. They're drinking water. But now we're hungry. God, why'd you bring us here to die? God brings quail. Eating all that quail made them thirsty again. God, there's only bitter water here. Why did you bring us here to die? They get to the edge of the promised land. There's giants in there. We can't go over there. Why'd you bring us here to die? How many of you know we are a forgetful people? Every day is a new day. And every day requires you to trust in the Lord again, to come back to Him again. And that's why God often gives us moments to renew our trust in Him. God often gives us opportunities to renew our trust in Him. And so with our middle son, we packed him up and with no school, with no way to train him. After two years, it was the opposite. With our first son, God just did a miracle. With him, everything was going bad. My wife is crying herself to sleep every night because uh, she can't teach her son. We're losing him. He's about seven years old at this point. He's not interacting with people. He's fallen into his own world. Almost every night, my wife would come. She would have taught her other two sons and trying to teach him. And almost every night, she'd go to bed with tears in her eyes, saying, We're losing our son. I feel like a failure don't know what to do. For two years, we cried to the Lord. And then one day, our area director came and said, uh, you know what? Maybe you should. I'm not going to halfway serve the Lord. Either he called me or he didn't. And if he didn't call me, I'm going home. And if he did call me, then we're going to persevere. We're going to trust. We're going to trust. So we laid a fleece before the Lord. Lord, we just need to know you're in it. We're willing to die. God, you love me so much. You gave your son to me, and I've given my son back to you. But God, I need to know you're in it. Two weeks later, we get an email from a young girl. And she said, uh, so sorry I haven't written before. She said, for years, me and my husband have felt called that we're supposed to come and work with you. And let me tell you, the work of God often goes undone because people aren't answering. It's not because God's not calling. It's because we're not answering. 
She said, for years, we felt like the Lord wanted us to come, and it just didn't make sense. She said, I'm not a missionary, and uh, I don't know what you're doing, but uh, she said, to tell you who my, my husband's an engineer. I don't know if he could come and help you build something or do something. And she said, and I have my degree in special education. I've been teaching autistic children for over three years, and if there's anything we could do, we'd love to come and serve you. And for the next 10 years, my son had one-on-one -on -one attention from a special ed teacher, and he's now well-adjusted. He's a good kid. He's 21 years old today, and he has life today. You can trust him. And I want to tell you, God is calling you to moments of leaving your purse behind. God is calling you to moments to walk out of the house with nothing. God is calling you to moments of walking in to a new vision without telling anybody about it. And just saying, God, I know you spoke to me, and I'm going to trust you that this thing's going to happen. I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to begin to trust today that you're going to do something beyond anything I could imagine. I'm going to trust you for something impossible. I'm going to trust you to bring somebody to my door. I'm going to trust you to open a way. That young man was in that area, and that young man asked for a visit. So I get on a plane, and I walk to the door of this young man, and I knock on the door. He opens the door. I reach out my hand and greet him, and, and God spoke to me. And I said, before I do anything else, I just need to read something. And I started, it, just, it came to my mind, like, I know there's something I'm supposed to read. And I opened the Bible, and I read something, and then I said to him, I said, no, sorry, that wasn't right. And then I went somewhere else, and I said, no, I don't think that was right either. And then I got to Isaiah 54, and I started reading Isaiah 54, and he started weeping. He said, two years ago, he said, I was at my sister's house in the city, and she asked me to go get milk at night, and I walked out, and I came past this field where there was a man preaching in the field. And I stepped close to hear him, and I could hear him. He was preaching about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he looked out over the crowd and said, be filled with the Spirit. He said in that moment, he said, I hit the ground. He wasn't even saved yet. This will mess your theology up. So like he said, it doesn't matter when these things happen, just make sure they happen. He got baptized in the Spirit on the edge of a crusade in a city. And he's laying on the ground. His sister gets worried about him because he hasn't come home. She goes out and finds him laying on the ground, speaking in an unknown language that she doesn't know. They think he lost his mind. They pick him up, take him back to the house, and lock him in a room. And for three days, he's in this room praying in the Spirit. He said, at the end of the third day, he said, I came to my senses and God spoke to me and said, you're going to go back to work. He was an engineer with Honda Motor Corporation. He said, you're going to go back to work. He said, and then there's going to be a day. He said, I'm going to send a man to your house. He's going to read Isaiah 54. and That'll be the moment. Leave everything and follow me. So he said, so I went back to town, kept my job. I started going to church, started growing in the Lord. He said, you just showed up at my house. He said, so I guess I'm quitting my job now. And that's how we started the ministry in that place. God's doing incredible things. Why? Because sometimes you got to learn to trust. You just got to learn to trust that God has something significant and spectacular waiting for you, and you just have to trust that He's going to make it happen. Can I ask the musicians to come? We just want to take, before we go into prayer, I want us just to join into prayer together, God. Two things I really want you to center on, expectation and trust. 
I want you to begin to pray over your city. Pray expectation over your city. Pray hope over your city. Your schools are not closed. They're just jammed. And you got to figure out how to kick the door down. Expectation. There's a harvest in our schools. There's a harvest in our community. We live with expectation. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. And God is simply looking for a people who will partner with Him in His harvest. And so God, we're coming today saying we're your willing partners. And to do that, we need to trust. We need to trust that it's possible. We need to trust that it's possible. And I believe God's going to speak to you some of this morning.